Hey guys, welcome to Man on Mission podcast. The focus is simple yet profound. Man on Mission is really our way of encouraging men of God by way of interviews and teachings to unlock a deeper understanding that God has designed us as fully holistic, integrated human beings who can have kingdom impact through the everyday things of life. This idea of our calling and how it fits into marriage and family life can be a bit enigmatic at times. So we aim to simplify this idea and empower you to live a more impactful and fulfilling life. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Man on Mission. Today, we've got a special guest here with us who um, has done quite a number of things uh, in his life, and, and I'm excited for him to share uh, some of those details with you. Um, but a, a little bit from the start, um, uh, Alan is uh, joining us from Colorado, and he is an author, a speaker, uh, previously was one of the um, founding publishers of Thomas Nelson uh, Fiction. Uh, he is passionate about creatives and is also the uh, lead content creator for uh, Ransom Heart Ministries, if any of you are familiar with that, and John Eldridge and Wild at Heart, uh, an incredible ministry, and they're doing some awesome things for men. Um, and I'm really excited to have him share with you guys today. Um, so welcome to the show, uh, Alan Arnold. Thanks, Chris. I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Yeah, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day. Um, for for those that don't know, and, and uh, they got a little bit, obviously, from me just a moment ago, but would you share a little bit of kind of your story and, um, you know, how, how you were raised, what, what life was like, and um, kind of the journey you've been on that led you to where you are today? Absolutely. Well, Chris, I, I would say um, growing up, I had a pretty traditional childhood. Um, I was always drawn, however, to story. And so even as a young boy, uh, and it started with comic books, you know, Superman and um, Batman, and it started with those type of stories. But I found myself, whether it was a comic book or a movie or a novel I was reading, uh, I was really drawn into how life is a story. And so that was always a part of my growing up. I, I just never really realized that the story was one I could enter into in a larger way with God. So it, it was always a sense of, man, I love a good story. I just didn't really see my life as, as one of those good stories. Um, so it was always something to experience outside of myself and just read or observe or watch. And growing up, um, I would say that the biggest pivotal moment in my life, if I look back and, and if I would try to have memories of childhood, unfortunately, um, the biggest memory was when my parents divorced. And that was a real defining moment because what happened was uh, one night, my mom and, and father uh, said, hey, come, come into the family room. And I was 11. And my sister was a few years younger, and we knew something was off a little bit, but didn't really know what. And uh, my mom announced that they were getting a divorce, and and my father uh, would be moving out of the house, that she'd be staying in the house, we'd be staying with her. 
And that really set a tone early on of how just when you kind of think your story is going well, um, everything can, can be pulled out, the rug can be pulled out from under you. So that's my most vivid memory from childhood. And the interesting thing was, at least from my perspective as a boy then, um, and, and I'm not, you know, there's always more to a person's story, but it felt like basically my mom had just decided um, to move on uh, in terms of marriage, just ending this marriage and moving on from there. So there wasn't really a lot of, there was no um, dramatic cause for the divorce. And so one of the things that that put this just idea in my head was from early on, um, you can be dismissed from a story, even a story of marriage or a story of family or a story uh, of your work world, really for no reason, you can just one day be called in and everything can change because I saw that happen as a boy to my own father. And so again, I, you know, there's always more to a story. If my mother was telling the story, there'd probably be more that, than I knew as a boy, but basically that was the most defining moment of childhood. And I can tell you a little more later as things play out, but that that's something that just really in the last few years I've realized, wow, that's actually influenced a lot of my life as a man was this feeling of anytime something starts to not feel right or go wrong, it could be the moment before everything changes and and I'm just asked to leave or dismissed from a project or from uh, a relationship. And so part of, part of what I've learned lately is the scars of our story, meaning the things that wound us when we're younger, really do play out, have ripple effects into the larger story of our life. And something from when we were 6, 7, 11 as boys really does, in, in more ways than I think most men realize, influence the story we're living today. Man, that's that's a tough thing to process through as a young boy. Um, how, as you approached that kind of understanding, kind of realizing some of these things as you've as you've gotten older, how did you kind of process through the ways that that was impacting your thought process and decision making and things like that, and and, and how? I guess, how did you maybe overcome some of that? Yeah, well, so now fast forward to, uh, I, I graduate from college and um, I'm in a job at an advertising agency and and loved marketing and advertising. And so one Saturday I'm at this, at this ad agency, it had about 200 people, a, a really large um successful company. And I'm there on a Saturday trying to get some things done before my dad comes in town to visit me. And, and the head of the whole agency division that I worked in, saw a guy about four levels up, doesn't even really know my name, uh, that, that higher up. And I'm, I'm just out of college and I'm working there and he's there on the Saturday and this guy pops his head in my cubicle and says, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, 
trying to get some things done. And uh, my dad's coming in this afternoon. So I'm just working all day till he gets here. Well, this, this, you know, high level executive walks away and about an hour later, he's on his way out and he swings by and he says, Hey, give this to your dad. And he handed me a signed um, letter that was sealed in an envelope. So I, I couldn't see what it said. And he said, Hey, don't open this. Just give this to your dad. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, like what, what is this? What, you know, it's, it's somebody that I normally would never come into contact to. He's too high up. And so when my dad, you know, showed up and I got home later that afternoon, I give my father the letter and he opens it. And it basically says, Chris, um, to my father, your son is somebody you should be really proud of because he's the kind of guy that will work on the weekend and work, uh, you know, countless hours to get the job done. And that's what makes a man successful. Well, my dad read that and, you know, smiled and was like, wow, that's, you know, way to go. Like that's a high compliment. And something in me in that moment, uh, made an agreement with that. Okay. That's the way, you know, go back to the story, my own story of seeing my father, what I would call, um, kind of dismissed from the family for what seemed like no reason. And now go to this and I'm realizing if I don't want to be dismissed from my story going forward, this letter just told me how, how not to, which is work on the weekends, be the hardest worker and be the guy that gets things done. And so what was meant by this high level executive as a compliment um, really became this unhealthy agreement that, that, created in me this drivenness, this desire to make things happen, no matter what the cost. And I became, uh, at that point, a really highly productive, very driven, make it happen guy who believed the more, if I wanted to be more, I had to do more. And so I would always just be the guy that did more. And there was a fortune uh, cookie that I had found, you know, after a meal, around that time. And when I opened it, uh, the note inside said, the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. And I taped that uh, note, the fortune cookie itself, the note within it to my desk. And I was like, that's it. The one who tells me it can't be done, I'll do it. They just need to get out of my way. And so I became this hyper-driven, very successful guy. And unfortunately, the harder I worked, the more it was rewarded. So the more uh, self-fulfilling it was that this really was the way to always be accepted, never dismissed, uh, get ahead. And so that became my life in my 20s and 30s and early 40s was drive hard, make it happen, be the last one standing. And um, I talk a little bit about this in in a book uh, that I've written that I'll, I'll tell the listeners about later, but there's a story right before 9-11 where I was about to board a plane, got on a phone call, got distracted, and my team that was with me got on the plane. It was a small commuter plane, and so they got on the plane. It was for a video shoot. I was helping lead it, so they didn't really know where they were going once they got to this location because I had all the directions, I had all the information and I missed getting on the plane. 
Well, just to give an example to you and the listeners of how, when I say I was a driven guy, I race up to the desk at the, you know, uh, terminal and the person working there says, sorry, you missed your flight. We've given your seat away. Um, it's full flight. You can't get on. And it's about to take off. The plane's about to take off. And I argued, tried to trot my way onto it. They said no. And that person walked away. And I'm just standing there by myself at this gate. And I was so driven at that time that I waited for them to walk away a few steps. I went out the emergency exit door and just stood right next to the plane. So this, I'm on the runway. This plane's, you know hasn't taken off yet and stood there until the pilot came out and I talked my way on to that seat that they had given away and I get on the flight like they hold up the flight they kick the other person out and I got on the flight and that you know it, it was crazy and it was uh totally narcissistic and totally uh, it was the stage of life I was in, which was I'll make it happen. And it, it even worked when it came to like staring down a plane, you know, like I actually won. And, and I don't say that like with pride now, I say that with kind of me um, just shaking my head going, I can't believe that was the way I used to go through life. But, but I was that driven and I was that determined and it kept working and I kept thinking I had to do more and do more and do more. Now, you know, how do you do more than that to prove that you're going to make it happen? And finally I had a boss um, and he asked me to lunch. And at the time I was running the most successful um, gr high growth group in our company. And he said, Hey, can you, just come downstairs with me. There was a cafeteria. Let's go to lunch. And I did. And I thought he was going to tell me about a new project. And he said, Alan, I just want to ask you, do you know that of the dozen plus people on your team, um, every single one of them thinks you're a jerk. They can't stand to work for you. They, you're wearing them out. Um, and yet they stay because of your productivity, because even though they can't stand your presence, you're delivering results and they're getting rewarded for it. And that's why they're staying. But nobody wants to be around you. Well, that was like a sucker punch to the gut. Um, I, I was not that self-aware. I was not. I was not able at that point or willing to look at my effect on other people. And when he said that, you know, Chris, my first uh, reaction, I didn't say it, but what I was feeling inside was, well, Hey, we just need to fire these people because clearly they're not grateful for all that I'm inviting them into. And, and they're actually, you know, um, putting down the very person that's helping them succeed so let's get rid of them. Let's get more people in. And thankfully, I didn't say that. What I felt for the first time was this sense of, I don't think I want to be that man anymore. Like, if that's my effect on people, I don't want to continue my career and my life and my marriage 
and I was a, a father of my first child at that time, like it, it, God used that to finally break through in me this sense of, I don't know how to change, but I don't want to be that guy anymore. And so that was really the start from the time I got that letter, you know, right out of college. And from that wound um, of agreeing as a boy, boy, you can be dismissed out of your own story and just deciding to work more and more and harder and harder. That was the real breaking point for that way of life in me for the first time saying there's got to be a better way. It can't just be doing more to, to be more of a man, to be, to be who I want to be. And so that was when I raised the white flag. And that was the moment, really the line in the sand, where I started this journey into what does it really look like to be a son of God? What does it really look like uh, to live a life as a good king, meaning somebody where the people under you feel taken care of and loved and valued. And that, that was the beginning point right there, but it was probably one of the hardest days of my life uh, to sit through when somebody tells you point blank, everybody who's close to you doesn't really care for your presence. And that's a, that's a tough process to go through. And, and a lot of guys probably have a, a similar experience where somewhere along the lines, they've um, made an agreement of sorts. Uh, let's, I, I'm fascinated and I love the topic of um, kind of agreements and how powerful those can be and, and, and how powerful it can be to kind of go back and let the Lord heal those areas um, and to really kind of like, so, so it sounds like you had this moment where you came face to face with this new reality of how the world is viewing Alan and you made a decision that you didn't want to be that way anymore. Where did the journey go from there? And, and how did you, how did you process through and, and, and sort through um, that agreement? I, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty spiritual process, right? It is. And, and just in case some of the listeners are saying, okay, what is, you know, what does Alan mean by agreement or Chris, what do you yeah. mean by agreement? Um, let me try to define that. An agreement is when you see something happen in your life and you lock in on an interpretation for that agreement or an agreement, you know, you basically say, um, this happened. And so this is the interpretation of that. And, and it locks in, it hardens, uh, like cement that, you know, you pour and then it hardens so that, and, and for some people it's, um, you know, there, it may be in an athletic program or a sport and the coach tells them, man, you're just, you're terrible at this. You're, you know, you're, you'll just never achieve anything here and you're a disappointment. And so they say, they don't just hear that and say, I don't know if the coach is right. I don't think that's true. They say, that's right. And they make the agreement. I am a failure, a disappointment. Um, it could be something a parent says, 
or, um, you know, a girlfriend early on or whatever it may be, a teacher, it's that sense of this is what happened and now this is an agreement I am making. And the enemy, we, we all have an enemy, of course, Satan. And so the enemy latches onto that and then tries to reinforce that in our lives as much as possible. Why? Because if we're living a lie, if we're living under these false agreements, then it's almost impossible for us to reach our full potential of who God created us to be. And so my agreement, you know, to use my story, um, because I I talked about how as a boy, I love story. Well, the story I saw playing out was, boy, as a man, you can be dismissed from your own story, the way my father was in the divorce, at any point, randomly, for no reason, apparent reason. And so that was an agreement I made early on is, boy, this is how life works. And then the other agreement was the way to be successful and not be dismissed is to work harder than anybody else, to just commit myself to however many hours it takes to be irreplaceable in my job. And so weekends and early mornings and late nights and and to show how this can get tangled, you know, so that was the agreement I made there with work. Well, you can imagine um, a man doing that is not going to be the best husband because he's going to be putting more focus on work than family or work than his wife's heart. Mm-hmm. And so, and so as that was happening early in my marriage, that was happening because of an agreement I made. But then that's other agreement, which is you can be dismissed for almost any reason. So then anytime my wife and I would have a disagreement, even a minor one, something in me would say, that's it. Like she's, she's going to tell me to leave. I would feel that inside and it would make no sense because maybe it was an argument about the garage door opener, (laughs) you know, like a nothing conversation, but I, through my old agreement of, of how somebody can be dismissed, I would think that's it. Like that's, that's now she's about to ask me to leave. And it made no sense to anybody probably listening. But when you're in your story, you can't see how things don't make sense. That's part of the faulty interpretation we all have from our own wounds is that's why we need other people around us to say, do you realize that doesn't make a lot of sense what you're saying here? Or why would you think that? Well, so that was the stage I was at when this boss brought me into the conversation about my effect on the people around him and around me. And basically at that point, all I knew to do was say, God, I don't want to be that man anymore. And I have no idea how to change. I have no idea because I thought I was doing what made me irreplaceable. And, and it actually even in success, is failing. Um, And so God started a process really at that point of helping me break those agreements, of helping me break the agreement that I was disposable or um, replaceable at any moment, that um, 
I was, I was really only what I could accomplish or do. And so this evaluation of self through doing more and the agreement that to be more successful, I had to work harder than anybody else, no matter what the cost. Like I started breaking those agreements and just, and the way you break them is just to, to announce it, you know, uh, God, I break the agreement that this is who I am, or this is, this is what brings my worth in the world. And so you, you literally speak it, you're the power of your words um, that made the agreement, you now break the agreement and, and you do so um, with God. And so I broke those agreements and that began this journey of what does it look like to love those around me, to, to not focus on my own self and, and protection, but actually to take care of a team. And so on a work level, I started doing that. And, and here's, the, here's the interesting thing, Chris. As I did that, I became a much better boss. Like people who started working with me in those years who hadn't known the earlier me, they would hear stories and be like, that, that couldn't have been you. Like you, you would never do what we're hearing used to happen. And I'm like, no, that, that was me. And now I've changed. And, and I really was a, a good boss, a good king. But the problem was I was being kind and compassionate and caring to the people around me. And they actually loved my presence, but I still didn't know how to take care of my own heart. And so the workaholic part in me, I continued to stay and work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I just now was doing it and telling my teammates, the people who worked for me, go home, you go home for dinner, you go home to be with your family, I'll take care of it. So it was a partial, you know, it was, it was an external fix. And it was a beginning. But all of the action for us as men, for women, as well, really takes place on the internal. And where I hadn't gotten to yet was, how do I take care of my own heart? Because you can be a good boss, you can be kind to others and still not take care of your own heart. And so that was kind of part two of my healing or journey was I'm treating others well, but I'm not, I have no idea how to treat my own heart well. And that process began a few years later and really started me on a journey of what does it mean to be a son of God? Hey guys, I wanted to take a minute to share some details with you before we dive back into the rest of the interview. The way this podcasting thing works is that people really only find out that it exists if you share it directly with them through a quick text uh, and also when it gets more ratings and reviews. You might know this, but most of the podcasts that you guys come across when you search different categories uh, are only actually visible because enough people rated and reviewed them. So as we dive back into the interview, if you haven't already, please take a minute to scroll down and give us a quick rating and then text this episode to a friend that you know who would benefit from it. Thanks so much, guys. Back to the interview. If God is our father, what does it mean to live life as a son? And by that, I don't mean um, head knowledge because we can all quote the scriptures probably about 
God is our father and we're his sons and daughters, but that's knowing about something. It's not knowing, intimate knowing, relational knowing. And so really, Chris, for me, the, the, the big transformation in my journey started as a man when I said, I need to learn how to be a son. I've never known God as a father. I've known him as a judge. I've known God as the authority figure, uh, as the kind of omniscient uh, creator, but I've never known God intimately as a father. I've never known how to live with him as a father son. And so that's where my story to me, you know, the good part comes because that's where um, all of the striving and all of the sense of working for validation and for approval and to not be dismissed and to keep a seat at the table, all of that started to fall away when I realized, yeah, it actually is about presence, but before it's about my presence on others, it's about me understanding how to walk and live in, in the presence of a good dad of God, because then I learn how to walk as a son. And so that, that was the shift that started to change everything for me. So as that transition started to take place, is that, is that perhaps what started to kind of unlock some of these other frontiers for you in terms of maybe creative and like um, shifting away from workaholicism and like towards exploring what, what God really had designed you for or um, what, what, what came next? Right. Well, when you, you know, I know that a lot of the conversations that you get to have with men is on like developing them into leaders who they were created to be and, and how to lead well. Well, I don't think you can lead well or become the leader, you know, that God created you to be if you don't know your own story. Like mm. you can't influence other people's stories if you don't know your own story. If you, you, if you don't live an examined life, you're going to stay in the shallow waters. And it's no fun, you know, being in the baby pool. Like God creates us to go deep into the oceans of adventure and of discovery and of leadership. And, and we can't do that until we start with the discovery of who we are, who we were meant to be created to be. And so when I started into that journey of being a son, it really started to open my eyes into, okay, why did God instill this early love of story into me? And that, that's what led to me becoming a publisher, starting a fiction division, the largest Christian fiction division uh, in the world at that for a period of time, um, because we were publishing close to 70 or 80 novels a year, Christian fiction when I started it. And so got to work with hundreds of authors, Christian writers, creating story, so God gave me a love for story as a boy, and then full circle, now I'm working with people to tell the stories that other boys and men and women 
are going to read that draw them into the deeper story. So it's this like beautiful full circle that God allowed to happen. Um, but it all started with me understanding who am I? How, what did God create me uniquely to do in this world? And I believe the shortcut to finding that out is to first discover how to be a son of God. Because when you are a son, you can see your own story more clearly and you can see the desires in your heart. And uh, another way to start, if, 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 you know, listeners are saying, wow, that I'm not sure what that would look like to just become a son. And, and where do I even begin? Well, another way that may be an easier beginning would be think of the things you love to do that you've always enjoyed from boyhood on. And now look at that through the lens of it's not just something you love or happen to discover or stumble upon, but it's what God knit into your being before you were born. And why did God knit into your being this desire, this passion, this love of fill in the blank? And I would say he did that as an invitation into intimacy with him. So he puts a love for you of basketball or playing the guitar or um, building things. And, And whatever that may be, you look at it and you go, why would God give me that unique gifting and passion? And again, the reason is, I think, as you pursue that, the thing you love, you find God because God gave you that desire and he didn't give you that desire or me, my desire. So we would get busy doing things like that's such an American mindset of, well, whatever I'm gifted at, I just need to get busy and get on it and earn a living and maximize it. But I, I believe God gives us our love of certain things, our passion, our, our dreams and desires as a way to draw us to him. And he says, okay, now let's do it together. You love this? I gave you that love. Let's do it. Let's pursue it intimately and actively together like a father and a son. And so whether the, you know, the person listening is 20 or 75, you're still a son of God. You never get too old or outgrow the role of being a son. And so as a man, we're a son of God. And he gives us the things we love to do to do them together with him. Why? Because the number one, I believe, desire for God is intimacy with his sons and daughters. And so he doesn't just want people to believe in him. He doesn't want people just to to do things for him. He wants us to do life with him. With comes before doing things for God. So doing things for God is good. Doing things with God, exponentially better because he's after the heart. He's after the relationship. And so if you want to become a son of God, one of the best beginning points, I think, is to go, what have I always loved to do? If God gave me that gift or that desire, how do I pursue that now actively, intimately with him? And as I step into that with him, I don't only get to 
um, pursue what I love, I know I get to know God on a deeper level. And so that's where our gifting aligns with our role as a son. And, and, and that I think is huge, Chris. And that's what really shifted my whole world was when I started realizing I get to do what I love to do with God because he actually gave me that desire. And so when I pursue that with him, you know, however good I could have been at it on my own, when I pursue it with the one who created the desire in me, I do things exponentially better, but it's not from a place of striving. It's not from a place of, I have to do this for validation and to keep my seat at the table. It's actually doing it now out of just this, this passion and love. And it's, you know, success happens when I'm doing it, not based on what the evaluation of other people around me are. So success even changes. The definition of success then is, am I pursuing my life and my marriage and my children and my job actively and intimately with God? If I am doing that, it is successful. Whether the world agrees or not is irrelevant. Whether I get the approval of a boss on one level is irrelevant because I am living well as a son and and I'm doing life with God in all the areas of life that matter most. And so now it, it, it reprioritizes everything for what matters most and success comes in the midst of living that way, not as an uncontrollable outcome of somebody's judgment you know, at the company or, or even our spouse, like we get approval from God because we are doing life with him in a way that, that just changes everything. So the last thing I'll say on that is, you know, if you want to be a better husband, I believe it starts by becoming a better son of God, learning how to be a son of God. If you want to be a better dad, it doesn't start by learning how to be a better dad. It starts by learning how to be a better son. If you want to be a better boss or employee, it starts by learning how to be a better son. Because when we know how to be a son of God as men, then that realigns everything in our life. And so to me, that was the, that when I raised the white flag all those years ago, that was the starting point of a journey into sonship and a journey of walking with God through life in a way that um, revolutionized the last decade of my life. I relate to so much of your story. It's uh, there's so many questions, follow-up questions that I want to ask you just about what you just shared. Um, It sounds it sounds to me, at least from my own walk and my own journey and kind of now hearing it from your perspective as well, it, it appears to me that a lot of people overthink this idea of calling and really, you know, calling in, you know, air quotes. Um, it really starts when we deepen and become more intimate in our relationship with the Lord. And he reveals to us those things that have been 
planted in us from the beginning and we can start to actually do that along with him. Would you, is that kind of what you're saying in terms of um, living out what God's really put inside of us? Yeah, it is. I, I think we can get paralyzed in our, in our decision process of, oh my gosh, what if I choose the wrong thing for my career? Or what if I, uh, what if I find myself right now and I'm just in a job for the money or because of pressure from somebody, a parent, a spouse, my own, my own pressure to just take something and, and this isn't really what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. I, I, I guess I would say to those people, first of all, I'm, I, what I'm not saying is quit your current job tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> saying don't do that. That's probably not a smart move financially for, for the care of your family. Um, but what I am saying is ask God the question, because first of all, if we walk as a son, we have to believe that we can hear the voice of God. If we don't yeah. believe we can hear the voice of God, then we're saying basically all the stories of the Bible were exceptions, not examples, meaning we get to read about all the ways God talked to all of you know the, the, the people we love reading stories about in the Bible, Moses, Noah, David, Joseph, Daniel, uh, Abraham, you know, on and on. And, and yet to somehow think, but that doesn't apply to us somehow. Now we have an instruction manual, the Bible, but we don't get to hear the voice of God. That makes no sense to me um, because God is, if he's a good father, as Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice and know his voice. And so the ability to say, God, I feel like I'm in a dead-end job, or I don't know what my passion is, or I'm not sure I'm pursuing it in the way that you would give, give me the chance to pursue it. Well, what would a, a, a son of a good father do? He would come to his father and sit with him and talk. That's the invitation here. Sit with God and say, God, I really want to pursue the things that make me come alive and I, I see no way to get there from where I'm at now, or I can't even remember what makes me come alive. My heart is so numb, I don't even have any, any idea, but what I'm doing now doesn't seem to be it. Go to God with that. Ask him, I don't believe there's one singular job for you in the whole world, and either, either you're in that or you're out of God's will. I don't believe that. What I believe is if God's given you a dream, a passion, a talent, that he did it for a reason, and he will see that through. And so if you have this desire to do something, I do believe if you go to God and say, God, I don't know what the timing is. I don't know when this can happen or exactly how it will look, but please help this happen. I want to be your son and I want to pursue what I love with you. Then the question is, okay, what will God set in motion? And, and part of the question is timing. It may be two years. It may be five years. It may be tomorrow. 
how do you know? You ask God and you listen. And by the way, Chris, as you would probably, you know, tell these guys listening, it's not just you and God. You need a community of men around you. And so you need other people, other men who walk well with God to to listen as well for you. Because if you're really stoked about starting some new opportunity, it's hard to hear if God's answer is wait or it's going to be a while. It's hard to hear that when you want to start tomorrow. But that's why we have other people who we do life with who we can say, man, here's what I'm praying. Can you listen? See what you hear. And then we test that against scripture. We test that against the words of other people who are following God, walking with God. And and ultimately, that's part of the adventure is God's timing in God's way as God leads. What is your future going to look like? And so it creates this expectancy and this wonder and this trust because it's not like everything we want and desire is going to happen in 24 hours. That's not how God sets up our world to work because he's more interested in us growing at a heart level than he is at just making everything we want to happen, happen. But as sons, he trains us, he initiates us, and he invites us into a journey that's hard, but good. And so when it comes to calling, um, the question is always relational. God, before I get busy trying to do something, help me be a son. Help me be a son and then talk to me, show me the path into what you've created me to long for and desire. And and usually that's a journey. It's not a microwavable five minutes and done. It's a journey. Over the journey I've been on that I'm describing to, to you and the listeners has been a journey over a decade into sonship. And I'm still, I feel like at the beginning stages in some ways. And in some ways there's been tremendous breakthrough, but that's been over a decade. And so, you know, um, the longer the journey, the more transformation. And um, so I just want to invite people into, if this is stirring something into, into your heart, if it's stirring into you, this awakening, um, then pursue it, but pursue God and intimacy with him over whatever the dream is whatever you feel the calling is. I would say what, what I would want to know the most is that, is I agree with you wholeheartedly that, that oftentimes what's in our heart isn't necessarily something that's going to come to fruition tomorrow. And so that, that process and that period of perhaps waiting, um, what what would you say for listeners? Um, obviously, that's a very spiritual process. That that's an uh, that's something that happens in your heart with the Father um, as you guys are working through that together. But is there anything practical that you would share, uh, even if it's practical in the sense of <laughs> pointing you to something spiritual that that helps you in that waiting period? Let, let's say people listening are like, I know what brings me alive, and I'm 
and I'm with the Father, and I and I'm I've got that relationship that's growing deeper every day with the Father. But but I feel like I want to be I want to be fully in that, and I still feel like I'm over here. How, how do we wait well? That's a great question, Chris. I think the best way to wait well is, and and this is practical, and it's also what I would call um, kind of a mythic way to live. It's both, but it's to wake up each morning. It's a discipline, um, but wake up each morning, and before you hop out of bed, before your feet hit the floor, before you look at your iPhone, before you start a conversation, if you're married with your spouse, what I recommend is you lay in bed for about a minute or two and you say basically something to the effect of, God, I love whatever you have planned for this day for us. I enter into it with expectancy and with wonder and help me go at your pace. Help me see what your priorities are today. I release my schedule to you. And this is the big one. I replace my expectations for the day with an expectancy for what you're up to. Releasing expectations of, by that I mean, you release the expectations of this will be a good day if X, Y, Z. If I get my workout in, if I, uh, the meeting goes well, if people praise me for the project, if, if, you know, if, 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 uh, whatever those things are in each of your days that you kind of say, for me to have a good day, these things need to happen. Let go of those. Those are expectations. You have little control over how the day will go. So release them and replace them with an expectancy, a sense of wonder and a sense of uh, releasing the day to God and saying, God, I trust you. You're a good dad. And so I'm expectant for what you have for me today, which is radically different than God, please let this, 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 and this happen. That's a list of expectations. So to me, that's a very practical thing, Chris, that is a way to start my day. And and by doing that, I immediately feel less pressure to try to control the outcomes of the people around me, of the events for that day, of the financial pressure, maybe, Uh, uh, you know, if I've I've prayed that and then I've had a car breakdown and, you know, I take it into the shop. And I'm, and I'm still trying to stay in that posture of, okay, God, what are you up to here? Give me your interpretation of this. Let me do this as a son. And so a little while back when my, my truck broke down, I'm in the shop. I'm waiting for a couple of hours. Don't know what's going to happen. But know that I don't have uh, spare change in my bank account for a huge car expense, right? For repair. And so the question is, can I stay in those few hours of the unknown? What's wrong with my truck as a son? Or am I going to start living like an orphan thinking it's all up to me. Now I've got to figure this out. Probably it's going to be a very expensive fix. 
all of the orphan thoughts that we live like when we don't live as a son. And so in that particular case, the repairman comes out a couple hours later. Hey, Alan, uh, on your truck, the expense um, with what happened, and he, he diagnoses it, is uh, about $1,600. And I'm still sitting there trying to stay expectant, not, not going to the sense of hopelessness or, or frustration. And I said, okay. And he said, but some good news. That particular issue is under warranty. So we're getting it fixed right now. And there's going to be zero cost to you. And uh, it'll be ready in about 20 minutes. Okay, so that isn't going to happen every time a car breaks down. I get that. But in that particular case, God was initiating me as a son saying, will you stay with me in this unknown, stressful, potentially, situation? And will you stay expectant that I've got this handled? I've got this covered? Or will you live like an orphan until the last second? And, and wait to see what the repairman says rather than what, what I say. And so that's an example of how we can approach our day with expectancy. And by the way, if, if, if the expense had been $1,600 and it hadn't been covered under warranty, well, how do you live with expectancy then? You say, okay, God, I don't have $1,600 spare change, but I'm your son. And you are going to help me navigate this with integrity. So it's staying in a posture of sonship no matter what. Being expectant on how God will come through without these rigid expectations of it needs to happen the way I think it needs to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 100% does. That's really good. Um I, I'm going to be stealing some of your, <laughs> some of your stuff here. Um, I, I really enjoy the idea of kind of just surrendering what the day looks like. Cause I, I know personally, I struggle with that a lot is that I've got this idea and, and much of my day is designed around my calendar. And so when things go out of sorts, even on a small level, I know that that tends to at times create some angst in me. And so I think, I think what you shared is really, really powerful. I think that can be a source of keeping the right perspective and, and aligning ourselves with the father and just really wondering what he's doing. Cause he's, he's always at work, whether <laughs> we realize it or not. Um, and sometimes that's hard to, hard to keep at the forefront of our mind. Um, right. Well, and if all the enemy has to do is mess with our calendar to erode our relationship with God and with our family and and to shut our heart down, we're really making it easy. Like we, we almost couldn't make it easier for the enemy to do that. And you can bet he will. Like if all it takes is, if the enemy knows, man, Chris or Alan or whoever is so locked into a good day meaning did everything on my calendar happen? He can screw with you all day long, man, or me all day long, because that's, that's easy pickings to derail us. If that's all it takes to shut us down or, or to throw us into chaos. 
And so that's why I think it's so important to have this mindset of expectancy, which is basically, God, no matter what happens, you're in it. I'm with you. And now show me how to interpret it. And if not one thing happens on my calendar, it can be the best day of all. Because ultimately, you, I'm releasing control of how I think my day should go to you rather than expecting you to make my day go as I expect it to go. That's a, that's a foundational seismic shift that, that really reveals how much trust we have in God to say, my calendar is just the best I can come up with God with you, but it's the best I can come up with of how the day could go. The reality is I have no idea how this day is going to go. Now, now I give it to you first thing in the morning and it's like riding, you know, the waves, um, like a surfer. I'm in the water. I have my surfboard and I have no control. I have zero control over the waves. As men, we have to go, we have to get to the point and say, I think I control so much and I control so little. You, you don't control when you sleep if you take the next breath. So we really don't control nearly as much as we think we do. And so we don't control the waves in the ocean, right? So if we're on that surfboard, we're waiting for the waves as God brings them. And then we ride those waves with him, not as an orphan, not in our own strength. Even if we're the world's greatest surfer, we ride it with him. And then we wait for the next wave and we ride that one with him and the next one. And that's being a son. That's living life as a son. And that's what I mean by expectancy. And um, I actually use that analogy as part of the story I tell in my book, The Story of With. Um, the story of With is basically how do we approach life with this sense of expectancy, with this sense of intimacy with God, with our identity rooted in God. And so I I, in this book, have created an allegory or a, a story with a little bit of teaching that really is meant to show what does a roadmap look like for doing this with God? What does it look like to dream with God, to live with God, to actively pursue Him in every aspect of our day? And so, Chris, a lot of what we're talking about here, if if a listener is like, man, I, I want to go deeper, I, I like this, but I, I'd like a little bit more on it, um, they can find the story of with on amazon.com. But that's, that's why I wrote that book is there is a better way to live and love and pursue our dreams. And it's not as an orphan where it's all up to us, but it's as a son or daughter where we do it intimately with God. That's so good. Guys, you heard uh, the story of with on Amazon. Uh, and, and I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. Um, I'm definitely going to be digging into that. This is uh, stirring my heart quite a bit. <laughs> and this is kind of aligned with a journey that I've kind of been uh, stepping into personally as well. And so it's so timely, Alan, uh, such incredible wisdom. And I just appreciate your heart behind um, how you share with other people kind of what you've been through. Um, I want to be really respectful of, of your time today, but before we um, end things, I, I want to give you a chance. Uh, what are what are you up to 
these days, I mean, you're uh, doing content with Ransom Heart. You're an author. What's on the horizon for all the different things that that you're working on? Yeah, well, right now I feel like I'm on this. Um, it feels like I am just on a big wave with God that um, is it's the fruit of trying to live in sonship uh, and learning him as father. And so my passion now, Chris, is, I work here at Ransom Heart full time. And I, as you said at the beginning of this podcast, I oversee content. So I work with John Eldridge and Stacey Eldridge and the team on the messages uh, that they have, the books they have, the podcasts. Uh, we do a weekly podcast at ransomedheart.com and videos, audio, all kind of a, a things that we try to get into the hands of people that basically help them live this message of Isaiah 61, which when Jesus was asked, why did you come or what's your purpose? He quotes Isaiah 61, which is, I came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. So the ministry at Ransomed Heart uh, is one of freedom and of living from an awakened heart. And so I get to do that during the day, and I love it. And then as a personal ministry, um, God has really called me to awaken in people an understanding of how to pursue their dreams and the gifting that they have. And just as a for instance, like so many people think creativity is limited or restricted to the rare few. And, and I hear people all the time say, I'm, I'm really not very creative. Well, my answer to that is, how could that be when we're sons and daughters of the creator, we have the DNA of the one in us who created everything around us? Stallions, oceans, mountains, rivers, the, the, the plains, um, you know, the wells, I mean, everything that we know in this world, the stars, the galaxies, like they were created by God and, and he's our father. So are you saying the creator of everything breathes life into us and yet we somehow miss the DNA of creativity? Like that's impossible. And so part of my mission is to awaken in people their creativity. And if we're all creative, then it comes down to, well, why would God make us that way? And again, like we talked about earlier, I believe it's because as we pursue the things we love to do, we find him. We learn God. We get to know God through one way, a big way, through our creativity. And so I travel the country um, even internationally, and talk to people about what is the the one thing that God has given you a unique gifting in, and how do you pursue that with Him? And a new definition of creativity I would just offer you and the listeners is not kind of the traditional thing of just um, making something. But I believe creativity is bringing something into existence that changes the atmosphere around us. And so it's bringing something new 
into existence that changes the atmosphere around us. And we do that through our presence and our gifting. So in other words, when my boss way back in that story I told at the beginning said, no one cares for your presence, I was not operating in a way that changed the atmosphere for good. In my brokenness and drivenness as a young man, I was actually changing the atmosphere for bad. I was making it more toxic out of my brokenness and drivenness. And if, if you know, people are listening and saying, well, drivenness doesn't have to be bad. Um, I, I would say, I would say you, you can be really productive and and if you're driven because God is inviting you into something and you're passionate about it, if that's what you mean by driven, that can be good. But the foundation has to be from a place of being, not from a place of striving or from a place of proving yourself or from a place of getting external validation or strokes from other people. If, if you have that foundation, you can be more productive than you've ever been. But at the time, I wasn't changing the atmosphere for good. It was narcissistic. It was egocentric. And so this new definition of creativity says, let your presence change the atmosphere for good. Let it bring something new into existence, not just by what you do, but by who you are. In other words, it starts with being overdoing. And so, Chris, I, I travel the country talking to people about that. Um, the DNA of that message is in my book, The Story of With. I've got a website, withallen, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N.com, that really is a place where people can discover more about their gifting and their dreams and how to pursue that actively and intimately with God. Uh, it's got videos, it's got podcasts, it's got uh, blog posts. Um, so I think that may be something that some people would like to look into. But um, yeah, that's how I spend my days now. And I'm a father of three teenagers. Um, I'm happily married um, for over 20 years now. Um, I've become a much different husband, obviously, from my journey of sonship. And so now my desire is to pursue my wife's heart more than to be the guy making things happen it's to be the guy pursuing her heart. And I'm, I'm learning still how to do that. I'm still a student of her heart, but um, it's all changed. I've, I've learned so much about how to be a more loving husband and father by learning first how to be a son. And that's, that's where I think it all starts for people. Incredible. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Alan. Um, there's a lot to chew on and, and so much wisdom here. Uh, really excited to hear the feedback from everybody. And um, I really appreciate you and your generosity to, to step in and, and share with us what's on your heart and what God's walking you through. And uh, I know it's going to be incredibly impactful for everyone that hears it. Man, why? Thank you. It's been an honor to be on the show. And I would just tell the guys listening who feel like it's too late or there's not enough time or they burn too many bridges in their home or at work. Um, that's a lie that actually that's an agreement. <laughs> 
you know, we talked about agreements to break, break that agreement. If you're listening saying, yeah, that's good for somebody else, but not me, or I'll never figure out what I was born to do. I really don't have a passion for anything or anything that sounds like that, or it's too late, or uh, I've screwed up too much. It's so helpful to go, actually, that's a faulty interpretation. That's a lie. That's an agreement that you need to break right now and then invite God into, God, you give me an interpretation of where I'm at right now. Because as a loving father, it's never too late. It's never too late. And so the question is simply, do you have the desire to let this be the first beginning of a new chapter. If you do, then your story can become a really good story, but it starts with a new chapter. And that is the chapter of learning to be a son. And it starts with a simple, really prayer, just God, I want to be fathered by you. Remember when my story, I had to say, I don't know how to do this. I just know I don't want life to continue like it is. So God, I don't have to have the answers. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have control over 98% of what I used to think I did. I let it go. And now I want to live as a son. Will you father me? Will you show me how to walk through life with expectancy? Will you show me how to care for my heart so I can care for others' hearts? Like that's the beginning. And so I just invite everybody listening who is hungry for more, start there, start there. And I promise you, if you ask God those questions with a sincere heart and you sincerely set out to seek him and to know him as father, man, it's, it will be a really good chapter that you enter into. So good. So powerful. Thank you, Alan. Really appreciate it. And on behalf of everyone listening, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. I've enjoyed it.